Hey, friends. Hey, I'm so excited to announce that Side Hustle Pro is officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network family. That's right. Your girl is on a network after six years of being independent. And if you don't know, HubSpot is the audio destination for business professionals. Make sure you check out shows like Being Boss with Emily Thompson or Online Marketing Made Easy with Amy Porterfield, one of my personal favorites, and my new favorite, My First Million. All right. I am so excited to be a part of the network, you guys. So check out all of these shows and more at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla matthews Akome. So let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Comcast Rise. Every side hustler needs support as they go after their dreams. That's why Comcast has provided over $110 million in monetary, marketing, and technology grants to strengthen and empower 13,000 small businesses owned by people of color and women through their Comcast Rise program. And that includes me, Side Hustle Pro. That's right, the tech makeover I received has been a game changer for my business. And do you want to see the other real business owners that received awards? Well, Rise has partnered with Philadelphia area tech education and training nonprofit HopeWorks Camden to develop and release an interactive map of the Comcast Rise awardee locations. Now you can learn more about and support these Comcast Rise small businesses in your community and support them this holiday season and beyond. Learn more over at sidehustlepro.co slash Comcast Rise winners. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here and I am back with a solo episode today. I'll be sharing with you all about the lessons I've learned five years into entrepreneurship. I've been an entrepreneur now for five years. I can't believe it. Time really flew, especially if you've been listening to this show from day one, you know, it feels like yesterday, right? When I was talking about side hustling while I was working full-time at NPR. And tomorrow, December 15th, is the anniversary of my last day. So it was December 15th, 2017 was my last day at NPR. And coincidentally, or I don't know, because is anything really a coincidence? However, December 15th, 2015 was the day I started. So I started and ended on the same date. How crazy is that? Serendipity, you know, signs, all that stuff. So what have I really learned? Oh, I want to give you guys a backstory. If you've just started listening to this podcast, um, you know, within the last year or so, you may not know, you may not have gone back. So quick backstory, guys, I won't take too long with this. So here it goes. All right. So my career, um, experience history is in the marketing communications and PR field. So I went to undergrad at University of Pennsylvania, studied communications, came out, thought I was going to be doing PR. So I had like a PR job at MTV Networks working with within Nickelodeon. And I had my own Devil Wears Prada experience and, you know, had my own little quarter life crisis experience, which made me realize that I didn't want to do PR and I also didn't want to work for crazies, but I digress. <laughs> 
But I really realized that, hey, this is not it. And like most people, when you realize this is not it, that's kind of scary because you start going down a path, you think this is going to be it and you're just going to grow in this field. But I was completely lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I ended up quitting my job, moving back home with my parents, worked a, a quick desk job at a realty firm while I figured it out. Lo and behold, through that experience, that was my first time when I started side hustling. I tested out a PR agency on the side. I tested out writing freelance articles for different online magazines and discovered that I love blogging. That was the first time I started blogging, right? So pay attention to the trends in my own story. You might feel some connection to this. So that was the first time I started side hustling through writing, through trying to do my own thing on the side. And that led me to my first job in social media marketing. This was back in 2010, like when social media marketing first started becoming a thing. People didn't understand like the fact that I was doing social, like Facebook and Twitter posts (laughs) for a living. They couldn't believe that was a job. Nowadays, it's so commonplace. But I started working for this fashion retail startup called Ideally. It's kind of like guilt or rulala. So it was the whole um, flash sale model drop shipping model of fashion, designer fashions for less. And that was where I cut my teeth, learned from the amazing boss I had at the time, Adriana, and just really started to recognize that I could use my creativity, my skills around marketing and social media to build a life and career. So from there, I ended up getting another role at Georgetown doing social media marketing and got to get a bump in my title to like executive, what was I, director of marketing, okay? That was a really cool experience. And then from there, I went to business school. I went to get my MBA. Why? Because I realized that I had zero business experience and I had shied away from numbers my whole life. I fell into that trap that a lot of women fall into where we hear, you know, we're not good at numbers, math is hard, blah, blah, blah. And I realized enough of this. I want to be a true marketer. I want to understand how to truly show ROI. And then I also want to understand accounting. I want to understand stats. I don't want to feel so naive and scared of this anymore. And then I also wanted the business school experience, taking some time off to travel, to understand what I wanted to do with my life, to figure things out. And at the time I was, I went back kind of old, Um, old in the sense that a lot of people at that time were like, you know, in like the early 20s to mid 20s. And I was late 20s when I went back to business school. But I'm glad I did it that way because I had a lot of career experience by that time. I had worked at like four or five different companies and I saw what I liked. I saw what I didn't like. And I also knew the quality of life that I wanted. So I would I was not going to get caught up in that whole, oh, I want to be a consultant. I want to be this. I want to be that because I knew that's not the quality of life I saw for myself. So As I'm in business school, I saw the world of tech, right? And I interned over the summer between my first and second year of business school at Google. And I interned in ad sales because that's what they selected me for. And while I'm in ad sales, the world is a little bit new to me because I had always been working in the world of creative marketing and social media marketing. And I hadn't yet tapped into that world of ad sales, truly targeting customers via their online behavior. So I went in there a little bit green and naive, but you know, I I, I got up to speed, was learning a lot. It was a really eye-opening experience. And while there, you know, you got a summer project, what have you, you know, you work and are truly integrated with the team. So it was a great experience, um, got some good peer reviews and all that good stuff. But 
as fate would have it, at the end of that summer, I didn't get the full-time job. And that was crushing to me. Um, I didn't find out that I didn't get the job until October, later that fall, October, that was what, 2014. And by that time, I didn't know if I was going to be working there, but I was back in that space, kind of like when I quit my first job out of college, where I truly didn't know what I wanted to do next. And why did I not know what I wanted to do next? Because I have never followed a straight path. (laughs) It's funny. Every time I hear the beginning of the power anthem from 50, like I never took a straight path nowhere. That is me. That is my life. I've never taken a straight path. I've tried. I've done the go to school, get a job, do what you're supposed to do. But I would always end up at this wall where I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't like this. I don't want to do this, but I need a job. I need to make money. So how do I pair what I like doing and what I'm good at with making money? That is everyone's life question and mission at some point, right? I found myself there again in my final semester of business school. And what did I do? I decided to study abroad in Spain because I'm like, this is my last chance in school. This is my last chance where I'm going to get to do this. So let's do this. And we're going to figure that out later. So I ended up going abroad to Barcelona and I was still trying to have some interviews and like calls with folks to really start to get to know and network and use leverage my network from Michigan and start to understand where I could go next, looking at jobs The path that I wanted to go down, it wasn't your regular recruiting path. So I had to do a lot of networking and figuring out what I could do next. So after eating my way through Barcelona, eating all the tapas, all the paella, (laughs) uh, speaking all the Spanish, feeling so like bilingual and cute, I came back to the U.S. to graduate and I was graduating without a job, moving back home to D.C. with Moyo, who at the time was my boyfriend, now husband. And I had no income. I had no money saved. I was really feeling embarrassed. I didn't tell a lot of my classmates what was going on. Only those who were my true, true friends knew what was going on. I just came back quietly to D.C. and I thought, all right, let me hit the ground running. I'm going to find a job. And while I did that, I I also side hustled because I got a job with MLT, Management Leadership for Tomorrow. I had done the program to get into business school. So I, I, I worked with them in social media marketing again while I worked to get my footing in D.C. because I knew I still wanted to work in social media marketing. I still wanted to work in marketing somehow. And I didn't want to work in politics. Even though I was in D.C., I was not interested in politics, public policy, nonprofits about different like heavy topics like that wasn't me. So, again, my job came about through the process that I had been Starting in Barcelona, I came along through networking. One of my first bosses ever, when I was an intern back in the day at HBO, home box office, she worked at NPR in HR. And she told me about this role that was opening up. And from there on, I was on it. I was there and I ended up getting the job. And shout out to her too, Angela, because, you know, she was able to give me the real income bands. And I, I was able to, you know, push that salary up to like one that was more comparable with MBA salaries, you know, because this is NPR. But anyway, I digress, y'all. What I'm trying to say is I want to give you all that backstory so you understand where I came from up to becoming an entrepreneur. It's not a background that you hear about often. 
And so that's why I didn't even consider entrepreneurship for a long time. I knew lots of people who were interested in the non-traditional path in business school. My two roommates, Nidia and Steph, they were following that non-traditional path, but I never even considered it because I had in my head this idea of what entrepreneurship looks like. And a lot of you might have that in your head as well, whether you think people have to come from a privileged background or they're just, you know, they're just willing to live with the bare minimum, like eating ramen every night, that kind of thing, living with 12 other people in an apartment. We all have these fixed ideas of what entrepreneurship is. And I too had that fixed idea. The only reason I started to slowly come around to the idea is because while I was working to get a job in D.C., I went through a lot of interviews. Um, I can share now. <laughs> At the time, I was I was salty, but I went through like five to six rounds of interviews for Uber. At the time, they were getting ready to launch Uber Eats, and you know, now I'm glad I didn't work for that company. But yeah, I went through like five to six rounds. You know what it's like to go. I'm sure you know what it's like to go through five to six rounds of interviews, even two to three rounds of interviews and then not get the job. It's crushing, it's frustrating, and it makes you mad. It makes you angry because by then you've done, you've given all your ideas. I did a whole presentation on the launch strategy, where they should go. I spent hours researching like every restaurant in DC, you know, for a plan of attack of how to launch. So I was, I was big mad. <laughs> And that was a pivotal moment for me. That was a pivotal moment for me. When I went through five to six rounds of interviews and didn't get that job, that's the first moment when I realized, you know what? This corporate job thing, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's also not loyal. It's not loyal to me either. So for a long time, the goal was to get this and to stay in this. And it was almost like it was to make this an identity and a part of my personality. But I realized that I cannot think of jobs in that way anymore. There's no stability in that. There's no stability in spending weeks of your life going after a job and not getting it. There's no stability in working somewhere and thinking you're going to be there five to 10 years. And then all of a sudden layoffs come around and you're out. That is not stability in the sense that it was promised to us and it was sold to us. So that's the moment when I kind of distanced myself from that idea. And I didn't become anti-corporate because I'm not anti-corporate. I'm all about getting that check and getting that bag and <laughs> saving it and investing it and all that. What I did start to think about is I got to put myself first. I've got to put myself first. What do I need from a company? What kind of quality of life am I trying to have? How much money am I trying to have? What do I need to do to get that? What are they giving me? So that is what shifted in how I approach going after jobs. So with that, I was more diligent when it came time to asking questions, when it came time to my, my role that I ended up taking. And I knew that the quality of life was one that was going to afford me being able to side hustle. Because by that time, I had started blogging again. I started blogging to get a job, actually. I started to blog about marketing and different things like that to show my expertise. I started promoting on social media, again, to show my expertise in, in creating organic content and also doing the ads on my own and showing that I had experience in doing um, social media advertising 
all of that I did to build my portfolio. But then once I got a job, I was like, you know, this is going really well and I'm enjoying this. By that time I had shifted to doing interviews. I had thought about the podcast, but I didn't know I would be doing it for real. So I was just thinking, I don't want to stop doing this. So I have to make sure that this isn't a conflict of interest and that I'll have the time and the bandwidth with the structure of how this organization works. Like what are the expectations working after hours, working on the weekend? What's it really going to be like? So those were questions I was more diligent about getting a feel for and asking directly when I interviewed. And I also brought it up in the interview as well. So my website at the time was KaylaKSpeaks.com and that was on my resume. I talked about it in my interviews. Now I understand not everybody will be able to do that, but that's what I did that because it was relevant to the roles I was trying to get. So I was very upfront with that and that ended up becoming very important later on as <laughs> the Side Hustle Pro podcast grew in popularity and being able to show that I was transparent and upfront with this and it's not something I was hiding or doing on work hours. So I get the job. I get the job. I start at NPR December 15th, 2015. And I I start learning so much about um, journalism organizations, nonprofit organizations, radio, podcasts, marketing podcasts, social media marketing for podcasts and live events. It was really, really eye-opening. I mean, there's just a whole world that I wasn't aware of. I honestly did not grow up listening to NPR like that. So I had to be learning on the job while also implementing the strategies based on the experience, all the experience that I've had over the years from doing social media marketing for academia at Georgetown to a fashion retail startup, ideally, everything, my learnings at Google, all that good stuff. So while there, I decided to start a podcast. I said, you know what? I love these blog interviews. However, I don't think that a blog is giving them enough justice. I post these articles on Facebook. People just like it and move right along. I don't think they're listening. And yes, that can happen when you post about a podcast too. However, the, the format, the medium of podcasting allows such that when people actually subscribe to your podcast, it's because they have the intent to listen, you know, whereas with a blog, there's a lot of skimming going on and and people just weren't reading like they used to. Social media just zapped a lot of our attention span. So I said, let me try out this whole podcast medium. It was around the time that Serial had done really well. Remember, this was 2015 going into 2016. So it was around that time where podcasting were getting a new life. For sure, podcasts had been around even before that, but I had never heard of a podcast until 2015. So I said, let me try this out. I had starts and stops. I picked launch dates, then moved them back because I thought, oh, is this going to be whack? Do I want to hear my voice? Who am I going to talk to? You know, all those stuff that you tell yourself. But I said, you know what? Let Let me do this. So I finally put pedal to the metal, got my mic, I already had a laptop and I started out in my living room. I reached out to the homies because that's who I recommend everyone start with. Reached out to people that I knew who were side hustlers. And before I did that, though, I did some audience research. I reached out to people who matched who I thought would be the profile for my show and did some audience research to get a better sense of what they would need from a podcast like this, what appealed to them about 
the content they were currently listening to about entrepreneurship and business ownership. And I knew I wanted to zero in on Black women because of the fact that those stories were not represented in a central place. I had to really dig to find these stories and particularly stories of people who side hustled. I don't want to just hear about when you've made it, how your business is doing. I want to know about you before you started. I want to know how you worked at your job and then started because I knew that many of us were going about it that way. I, I did. I wanted to hear from the people who were not quitting their jobs because they wanted to be able to pay their rent, be able to afford their bills, but still were determined to start this business. So that was really what drove me. And I needed to know more about the people who would listen to the show. So I did some audience research, reached out to a a designer, got the logo put together. Actually, um, the designer was someone Moyo works with, who's now like a friend of the family who designed a lot of his artwork for his mobile games. If you don't know, my husband makes mobile apps. So those were the foundation pieces to create Side Hustle Pro. And then I launched in June 2016. When I launched, the reception that the show received was incredible. Straight out the gate, the show went to the top 10 in marketing and the top 50 in business alongside some of the other podcasters that I I had admired for years. It was just surreal to see it. And the feedback that I got immediately let me know I'm onto something. I struck a chord, these stories are needed, and someone is glad that it's finally out there. I knew I wanted to hear these stories, but being affirmed and reaffirmed by other people that they wanted to hear these stories too, it really motivated me. I was like, let's go, let's do this. And that's when I started to think of, could this podcast lead to something? I never saw myself doing the podcast full-time. I wanted to spend this time talking to other Black women entrepreneurs and figure out what my business would be. So I thought about maybe doing my own boutique marketing firm. I thought about many different things. I never knew that the podcast itself was going to be what I would take full time. So it's really interesting that that came about. But the way that came about is just from being surrounded by the business of podcasting day in and day out, I started to look at my podcast through that lens. I started to look at it through the lens of if I'm to monetize through sponsorship, who would those sponsors be? How do I get connected to them? So I invested in an $1,197 two-day sponsorship intensive. Now this sponsorship intensive was about events. It wasn't specific to podcasting. So I didn't learn things like CPM calculator, um, cost per impression calculator, and things like that, that sponsors care about. I didn't learn about that world from this event sponsorship, but I did learn how to approach sponsors. I learned how to search for them, how to reach out to them, how to follow up, how to nurture that relationship. And that is so, so critical when you're pitching sponsors, especially pitching them cold, meaning you've never met them before. You don't know anyone at that company. And that's what I did. So six months into podcasting, by then my numbers had grown. I had a firm, firm sense of who my audience was, who my listeners were, what they liked, what resonated with them. And the show itself too, it was different then than how it is today. Because when I look at who I'm talking to mainly in the last two years, I've been talking to more product-based businesses. And when I started out, I was talking to a lot more service-based businesses. So that also shows kind of where I was in my own journey. I was really focused on people who were 
growing their own online communities like I was aiming to do. So even with that, I had a sense of who the people were who were listening, who y'all were and what you're trying to do and what brands would make sense for you. So a lot of people ask about pitching and the first thing that you need to know before you make any money is you need to understand what your audience needs because how can you put a sponsor or a brand in front of them and expect for the sponsor to be happy and to keep coming back and giving you more money if there's no return on investment, if people don't take advantage of that offer and people take advantage of that offer when it makes sense for them and their business. So that is really what I had a pulse on early just from everything, from my um, overall career experience, from being surrounded by the business of podcasting, from taking the time to invest my own salary because at that time, I wasn't making money yet from the show, but investing my own salary in a two-day intensive that cost $1,197 and allowed me to understand how sponsorship works. And so I sent my first pitch and I, from that pitch, secured $4,000 in sponsorship. So once I saw that, I was like, if I can do this once, I could do this twice, I could do this three, four, you know, I could continue to do this. But I wanted to prove to myself that I could continue to do that. So this was January 2017, I think, um, once the first contract was signed. And I didn't just go and quit my job. I said, let me continue to do this and make sure that this is a sustainable, repeatable model. So that is one of the first ways to know if it's time for you to leave if that's what you want to do, right? If it's time for you to take your side hustle full-time to your full-time hustle, it's, is this model repeatable and sustainable? And can I survive and cover my life's expenses and business expenses with this model? And even if this model skips a month, right? Like what if I don't have a sponsor one month? What happens there? So I had one revenue model with sponsorships and I said, I want to learn more about this world of infopreneurship. So the world of teaching what I know, because I had started to get approached a lot about the world of podcasting. As Side Hustle Pro grew, I, I, you know, I had my first feature on Mashable in 2017, like 2017 was just a busy, fast moving year of attention and growth for the show, especially coming out the gate, having just launched in 2016, not even in a year in, I was monetized. I was featured in different publications and continuing to grow and just continuing to invest and build up the show as well. So people were starting to approach me about everything from side hustling to podcasting. And I wanted to share my knowledge. Um, I didn't want to sacrifice my time as a result of sharing my knowledge, though, because obviously I need that time myself. If I'm recording interviews after work, if I'm at the time too, I was planning our wedding. So I need my weekends to go see vendors and all this other stuff. I'm like, I need to be able to help people without spending all my time on phone calls and what have you. So I said, let me learn about this world of courses. And that's when I turned to Danielle Leslie and her Course from Scratch program. Interestingly, um, around the time that I invested in Course from Scratch, that was when she was really, really building it up. Like that was when it was truly starting to be formalized and to grow into what it is today. So it's just so cool to have kind of been a peer at that time and to see where it's grown. It's, it's really, really impressive and really inspiring. So I invested in Course from Scratch and this was around November, 2017. So <laughs> I had already been thinking 
by middle of summer, what if I take this full time? What would that look like? And I would have these discussions with Moyo and, you know, he would keep going back to that. All right. Well, how are you going to make money? How are you going to keep making money? Like, what does that look like? And so I had to figure that out. And I knew that the sponsors are wonderful, but sometimes they want to have net 30, net 60. Most times it's minimum net 30. And if you don't know what net 30 is, that means that they're going to pay you 30 days after the campaign begins. They're going to pay you 60 days after the campaign begins if it's net 60. And that gets real annoying, especially because they love to be late with those checks and blame it on accounting. And that's no way to sustain yourself if you are waiting on a check. It's awesome if you've made this amount of money, but if it's not in your bank account, (laughs) you can't you can't tell your landlord that you know so I needed another way of having some predictability around my income and I really felt safer having two really strong revenue streams so I had sponsors and then I also wanted to have my own programs that people could learn from me invest in me and build them out to be continually informative and impactful and that's what I've done with podcast moguls so podcast moguls launched in 2018 We've been growing strong. I still have people, alums from the very first cohort of podcast moguls pop back up on our coaching calls every now and again. And so podcast moguls, I created it to help aspiring podcasters go from not even knowing what idea, what their podcast should be about to actually launching the podcast, editing, recording, and then marketing the podcast. So understanding how to grow that audience and how to share that show each and every time you release an episode to finally monetization, understanding how you can monetize and how quickly you can monetize and the best way to set yourself up for that. And then going out there and starting to make money. So I've done a couple of episodes with some moguls. If you want to check those out, um, you can search for um, episode with Tolu Garcia and also the episode with Shanitria of Blunt Blow and Mama. Um, Tolu Garcia has the UI Narrative podcast. And so they share how they were able to go from Tolu, didn't, when she started, didn't have a podcast at all, didn't really know which idea she was going to act on. And then Shanitria had a podcast, but was trying to figure out how to grow and monetize it. And she's been able to do that. So that program is really, really important to me. And I'm so glad now I'm getting a chance to sit down and do 2.0 so that I can share even more of what I've learned, especially in the last two years, starting to do video podcasts, starting to record on Riverside FM. I'm moving away from my initial recording setup and, you know, how great that's been. I can't wait to share that with you guys. So if you want to know more about that, you can join over at podcastmoguls.com slash join. But those were and are still two of my solid revenue streams. And with those revenue streams, I've had predictability around what my income will be, what I can expect. And knowing, obviously, my business expenses and life expenses, I was able to sit down and map out what life as an entrepreneur would look like financially. And I also was able to save. So spending more time working full time allowed me some runway to save up so I'd be able to cover should anything happen for at least, you know, three to six months, depending how scrappy and, you know, um, crazy times really go. So with that, I knew that once I left, I would continue to earn and continue to save even more And I got to a point where it was like, all right, I'm making this much. 
without quitting. So imagine if I do quit. And that's how I've ultimately made the decision. I said, like, I believe in myself that once I leave, that I'll be making even more. So I'm making a good amount now. I'm able to save now. I've saved a good amount now. And when I leave, I know that I'll be doing X. And that's what I did. So December 15, 2017, I left. Um, of course, I'd given a two weeks notice before that. So I don't know, is my anniversary the two weeks notice or my last day? I don't know, but five-year anniversary this week, tomorrow, and I hope that wasn't too long-winded of a <laughs> backstory, y'all. Hey, while you're listening to this podcast, you're probably doing something else too, right? You're probably driving or cooking, maybe even doing a load of laundry. So think about it. While you're engaging with your clients, your listeners, or your customers, they are probably doing something else too, which makes growing conversations beyond that initial moment pretty challenging. Well, HubSpot, which is a CRM, customer relationship management tool, helps you go beyond the moment by managing your relationships with customers. They do this by connecting you and your teams, giving you access to the exact same data and helping you see the full customer picture. You can see what motivates them, what their expectations are, and how you can really exceed their expectations. With powerful tools that connect marketing, sales, operations, and service, HubSpot powerful CRM platform powers you and your teams to transform customer moments into extraordinary customer experiences. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. Now let's get into some lessons. Let's get into some lessons learned. First of all, I learned that I can do it. I can do it. A lot of times the scariest part of this journey is in the beginning of making the decision and committing to the decision. And I learned that I can do this. I can work for myself. I can cover my bills. I can not only survive, but thrive and I can save and I can grow my business into new territories. And and this year has proven that as well in being able to land on a network, which is something that has, has been like a goal that is something that I work towards slowly. But being able to show what I've done to a network and have them be impressed by it and have them be and have it be appealing, you know, that's something that I'm very, very proud of. And then being able to partner to take it to that next level, that shows me just what I was able to do on my own as an entrepreneur. And I also learned that I can push through in terms of, all right, you can do it. And it still gets scary sometimes. There are times when you doubt yourself still, or you you said, you know, did I make the right decision? Should I go back to doing this or that? Should I do this instead? And I learned that I can push through all that noise and keep going because I am confident that I'm being led somewhere great. I also learned that it takes longer than you think to be buttoned up as a business owner. So if you had told me in 2017 that in 2022, I would still be figuring out like, all right, who, which service do I want to use to be my bookkeeper? Who's going to be like my full-time accountant? Do I want them on staff or do I want again to use the firm that I use for bookkeeping to be this person? Will I have finalized the financial planner I want to go with? Like I would have thought that would be all like all ducks in a row. And 
back in 2021, I was having a conversation with someone and they just reminded me, like, don't beat yourself up about that. Um, I, and this person's been in business for 10 years. She was like, I just started getting that together in the last two, three years. Okay. So a lot of these people who you're looking at on social media and you think they have it all together, they don't. They don't, and it's not a bad thing. It's just we we got we have to be more honest and transparent and realistic about what it looks like. What it looks like on the inside is that you are spending so much time running your business that it's a whole other job to also then figure out the organization of the business. You get what I mean? So if I'm focused a lot on the pushing out of content, the what do I want the look and feel of the show to be? Who do I want the guests to be? Um, let me you know, sit down and, and update my course and all these other things that are content and service-driven things it's easy to put some of the other administrative tasks on the back burner. And so as I shift into this next phase of entrepreneurship, you know, five years down, going into my sixth year, that's what I'm really focused on now is getting those ducks in a row, like being like, okay, you know, okay, Nikayla, enough is enough. <laughs> Let's get some of these administrative details a little bit more tightened up. And that's not to say that, I don't have a lot tightened up because um, many people would be impressed and like, hey, you've done a lot. You have a team. You, you know, you pay Uncle Sam every year correctly. All right. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got investments um, and retirements and things like that in place, but it could always be better. And if you're not careful as an entrepreneur, you can find yourself comparing yourself to how buttoned up you think someone else is and start beating yourself up. And you have to remind yourself that we're all doing the best we can with what we got and we're trying our best and it's not perfect, but we can keep growing and getting better because the more you know, the better you do. As you learn, as you talk to more entrepreneurs, you start to learn, oh, that's who you use as your accountant. Oh, that's who you use to do your organization's bookkeeping and all of that good stuff. And then you reach out, you schedule informationals and you start to do those things for your business as well. One thing I have always done, which I'm proud of myself for, is have an attorney. And that is really, really critical. Um, this year, there are contracts that I had her look over that... I mean, contracts can be really intimidating, even if you read the whole thing through. If you're not an attorney, some things might not raise a red flag to you. And my business manager is also an attorney. So I got dual attorneys here and they will raise things and say, well, we should push back on this. We redline everything. And that's so critical. When you are a solopreneur, you're a black owned business owner, you need to really cover yourself and make sure you're protecting your IP, you're protecting yourself for future down the line law firms. I remember an attorney telling me, this is not my attorney, but I was having a conversation with him and he said, you know, you need to operate as if the worst case scenario is going to happen, as if this person is going to flip the script on you and do all the worst case things. And I'm like, what? And, but that's how you need to protect yourself as a business owner. So that's one thing from the jump I've always been serious about because I did not want to wind up out there with legal ramifications. And that's not to say, you know, that again, I'm not perfect in that regard either. 
there are things I could always be doing better, but at least I try. I try to make sure my contracts are being reviewed with as diligent of a lens as possible, redline these contracts and do what needs to be done. So the second thing I've learned is it takes longer than you think to get buttoned up as an entrepreneur. Number three, I've learned it's a lot of pressure. So if you're thinking about this route, just make sure you're someone who can deal with a lot of pressure. Uh, It's okay if you get anxious. I get anxious sometimes too. And, you know, I have my coping mechanisms. It's funny. I was just talking to my friend the other day about she has a comfort animal. And my coping mechanisms are more like just taking time, making sure I have some quiet time with my tea to just approach the day from a really calm space. And if I know that I'm going to have a hectic day, I don't do things like I don't listen to certain podcasts or listen or watch certain YouTubes where I know that it's going to be like really frantic, a whole bunch of conversation. Like I truly need to be in a very Zen place. So I might put on like a Deepak Chopra meditative album that morning, listen to some tea, sit down, rewrite my to-do list, also journal out some of the anxiety and then face the day. And that is what helps me just reminding myself. There are a couple of mantras that I repeat to myself also, which help, which include number one, I always show up. Uh, So that's what I tell myself when I'm feeling bad because I might be late with a sponsored deliverable. Um, That only started happening since 2020, uh, where I might be taking longer than I, I wanted to. So before I beat myself up, I remind myself I always show up. So I love, you know, the without further ado, (laughs) I was joking with Cody Elaine uh, um, about this when she was on the show. Like, I might have to show up with a without further ado, but it's going to be on point. I'm going to give it 150%. So I remind myself, I always show up when I'm tempted, you know, to get down on myself. That's one thing I do to handle the pressure. Um, That mantra is I always show up and I also remind myself I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can with what I got and my best is good enough. I'm doing the best I can and my best is good enough. So I hope those two mantras might help you as well, but it really helps me with pressure. So number one, I always show up, okay? And number two, I'm doing the best I can and my best is good enough. All right, the fourth thing I've learned is that the lows of this journey, they suck. They do suck, but the highs make it worth it. The highs are truly high. The highs are truly beautiful. And so you got to take the good with the bad and remember your why, but you will get through those lows and, and but they're going to suck. <laughs> okay. Like there, there's some hard moments. There's some stressful moments for sure, because, um, you don't know what you don't know. And especially when it comes to administrative stuff, like Uncle Sam stuff, that stuff is scary. All right. But the highs are really high and they make up for it. (laughs) And then finally, I've learned to be more stable and more responsible with my money. 2020, 2021 gave me a run for my money because my coping mechanism to get through the pandemic as a new mom was to online shop mainly from Amazon. That, I believe, saved me from postpartum depression. I'm not going to lie. Like the little endorphin high that I get when I open a box, (laughs) 
that saved me from losing my mind. All right. That and walking when I finally started, wasn't afraid to leave my house and start walking again and getting that sunshine. I want to be even more buttoned up, though, with that in 2023. I want to be more disciplined with discretionary funds. And, you know, even if you, you know, you think it's just this or that amount, it does add up. So this process of being an entrepreneur is teaching me to be more stable more responsible with my funds. I've always, since I started earning money, had a budget and things of that nature. I think that when you start earning more though, and you have a little bit more discretionary funds, it can be easy to get a little irresponsible with that. And so that's something that I'm continually working on. And I'm just being um, open with you guys because we're friends about this and letting you know. So as I get better in 2023, I want to share that with you guys. Um, I I find too that I always get into my financial books and then kind of fall off before I actually start implementing everything. So for example, Tiffany Aliche's book, The Budgetista Book, her book is really good and the stuff that is more time intensive it's stuff that you know i end up just kind of putting on the back burner again because it's like administrative stuff and you're like oh i gotta go do this and do that and that's um it's overwhelming it's overwhelming that that's what this this whole entrepreneurship thing can be it, it's overwhelming to have to think about this you don't have to think about some of this stuff when you have a job you can just say these are my elections this is who my money goes to hey that's who i want for my life insurance that's who i want for my health insurance on this path you have to be someone who is comfortable with the overwhelm of the administrative stuff just like coming at you and you also have to be able to get through the pressure and remind yourself that I'm going to get through this and it may be slower and I may be a little bit embarrassed that it's not all buttoned up, but it's going to, I'm going to be able to check all of these things off the list eventually. All right. I'm doing the best I can with what I got and eventually I will get to where I want to be. However, I'm proud of myself that I'm taking the steps slowly but surely to get there. So reading the books, meeting with people like financial advisors, meeting with new CPAs to interview them, meeting with life insurance agents, like doing all the things. All right. Um, it's, it's no sense if we don't talk about this stuff. It's no sense if we just stay in our little corner ashamed about stuff that's going on. Like we have to talk about this and and understand that as a business owner who's actually the face of the business, plus also needing to organize the business. It could be a lot. It could be a lot. And it's okay if it's not all buttoned up in five years, but we keep going, we keep growing. And my final question, would I do it again? That That's how I want to end this episode. Um, would I do it again? Would I do it all over if I had to do it again? Or would I stay at my job a little longer? And my answer is, um, I would absolutely do it again. I would absolutely leave when I left. If anything, I would save even more. So I, I'm glad that I saved and I'm glad that I I went about it the way that I did. But I'll probably do even more. But I would absolutely still do it because I have, I'm a completely different person in the last five years, having gotten this lens of being an entrepreneur. I'm a completely different person. And if anything, (laughs) I'm a more grounded person in what it means to be an entrepreneur. So I would say when I started Side Hustle Pro, in fact, I think I was definitely more on the romanticizing entrepreneurship team. I was in that camp a little bit more, but now having done this, I'm more of a realist. And so you probably hear that shift in the show as well. I'm not telling you or encouraging anyone to quit their job. I'm sharing with you different journeys, 
different experiences and the choice is yours. It's up to you what makes sense for you and your side hustle. Not every side hustle means that you need to leave your job. However, for me, I don't regret anything and I'm learning a lot and I'm excited for what's to come because I've always had really big dreams of, of what I want to do. And um, it just so happens that this path that I'm on is the path that works best for me right now to accomplish those goals. So uh, another thing that being an entrepreneur has taught me, it's given me perspective on working. When I'm in a corporate role, I tend to fall into that box of defining myself by what I do for a living and where I went to school. And I was reading an Atlantic article. It's by Arthur C. Brooks. And the title is A Profession is Not a Personality. And in it, he talks about reducing yourself to any single characteristic, whether it be your title or your job performance is a deeply damaging act. And so I really recommend that article. I'll link to it. And, you know, in essence, he talks about that when we start to say, oh, I'm this, I'm an engineer, I'm, I'm, uh, I work in ad sales. If that's the first thing you define yourself as and you become comfortable with that, you're essentially objectifying yourself. And so he says, don't make this mistake. You are not your job and I am not mine. Take your eyes off the distorted reflection and have the courage to experience your full life and true self. So that's what I like about this journey and this path that I've taken of growing my side hustle to my full-time hustle, becoming an entrepreneur. What I like about this is I feel that it allowed me to give myself permission to experience my full life and my true self. And if you can do that while working for someone else, then that's great. And you should keep doing that. Um, For me, it took this pathway to help me truly step into that zone because I was getting very caught up in those boxes, those validation check marks. I went to this school. I did this. I, I worked there because you're just constantly accustomed to living your life as a resume rundown. And we, we got to step out of that. We're so much more than where we work, where we live, where we went to school. And it's been hard to adjust to. You've heard me talk about this in that there are times, there are always going to be times when I walk into a room, when I walk into an event where someone immediately wants me to define myself by what I do. And it is so freaking hard for me, number one, because, okay, what do I do? I don't want us to just say podcaster. What the heck is that? What does that even mean? Like, that's not, I'm a podcaster. Like, that's not all that there is to me. So it feels weird to say that. And I just realized I really, really enjoy not being in spaces like that day to day where I'm constantly asked to do that because I'm not just a box, y'all. And I will always recommend side hustling first. If you're contemplating this path, I always recommend side hustling first. And not even to be a full-time entrepreneur, but side hustling to figure out where you want your next role to be at a company. So a side hustle could be going to a boot camp. It could be taking classes after work because you want to shift into this other career. What I have gotten a chance to experience from shifting through different roles in my corporate career before I did um, my podcast. I've worked in television PR. I've worked in um, academia doing social marketing. I've worked for a fashion retail startup. I've worked for Google. I've worked for, um, you know, a journalism organization and PR. Being able to side hustle helped me to navigate into those different positions because it was my side hustle of freelance writing that even 
allowed me to pivot into social media marketing. And then it was my side hustle with starting to do different kind of interviews and again, market those on social media that allowed me to pivot into NPR. And so side hustling allows you to pivot. And if you're beating yourself up, if you're beating your head against a wall, like, what am I going to do next? I don't like this anymore. Side hustle. All right. Side hustle your way into a new job. Side hustle your way into a new career. Side hustle your way into full-time entrepreneurship if that's what you want to do. But if you're asking yourself, how do I move from here to there? The answer is side hustling. Side hustling is your greatest pivot weapon that you can ever, ever have. All right. So now I'm going to jump into a quick lightning round before we end today's solo episode. All right, y'all. So number one, what's a resource that has helped me in my business? Um, So several resources have helped me in my business. Um, Number one, I have used both FreshBooks and QuickBooks for invoicing. It's really helpful to be able to set up all your financial information and invoice companies and have it really be professional and be able to track who owes you what. And then at the end of the year, also have that tracking. So I really enjoy that. Stripe for processing things like my course payments. And my team lives and breathes with Canva, like all of our graphics and social media artwork that you see is developed through Canva. The holiday guide that I developed is on Canva. I think those are my top three right now. And number two, who is a Black woman entrepreneur you trade places with for a day and why? So currently, you guys know that um, this year, Rachel Rogers and her book, We Can All Be Millionaires, has helped me a lot in unpacking some of my thoughts around money and being a millionaire and all these other things. And it's really helped me in that way. And I, I would love to trade places with her to get a better sense of how she's been able to scale and grow her team um, operations, at, because I, I told you that's an area of slow process and overwhelm for me. So really seeing how she's been able to get help on the, the operation side to help her be more buttoned up and I've seen it from the outside looking in, so I'd love to see it from the inside. Number three, uh, what's a non-negotiable part of your daily routine? These days, every morning I wake up and I listen to the replay of my church's 7 a.m. prayer call. So I don't catch it live. However, by 7.30, 7.15, it's up and I'll listen to the replay as like I get ready, brush my teeth, shower, all of that, because that really grounds me. That really reminds me of, first of all, like what a blessing it is to be alive, to woken up, to be walking around right now. Um, you know, that's my faith. And it is a helpful grounding part of my day. I think I've been doing that the last 12 months, but then si- the last six months more consistently, like almost every day, at least Monday through Friday. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly when you were side hustling? So a personal habit for me, this is going to be surprising. I don't usually talk about this habit, but I'm going to classify it as a habit. It's daydreaming. I daydream a lot and I would daydream about where I saw myself, uh, the kind of lifestyle I saw us having. And that really helped me to push through because I knew what I, I knew I wanted to, like, for example, if I was having a tough day and my boss was annoying me, (laughs) 
I would daydream about the day that I don't have to ask to take vacation or PTO. That was a big thing for us when we got married in 2017. I didn't have enough vacation days to take the honeymoon that I really dreamed of us taking, like spending two weeks in Tanzania and Zanzibar. We ended up um, not taking it until 2018 and it was beautiful and I could never have done that. The, the amount of time we took was like my entire vacation day allotment. <laughs> and so things like that I daydreamed about. And that really, really helped me in my business because it kept me hungry, motivated. And to this day, it keeps me hungry and motivated because I know where I need to get to to achieve the other things on my bucket list. And then number five, what is my parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about losing their steady paycheck. So my hope is that you can see all the different types of journeys and pathways that you can take to entrepreneurship if that's something that you're interested in and recognize that you can take your time. You can do this at a path and a pace that works for you. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. And if someone does it a different way, if that doesn't work for you and your lifestyle, don't do that. Don't do that. It's as simple as that. My party advice is to do you, do what works for you, side hustle, and do it at a pace that works for you. And it's okay if it doesn't make money at first or for a long time. That's the beauty of side hustling. It doesn't have to. But when you truly become focused and ready to ramp up a bit, you know what you need to do. You know that you're going to need to spend some time investing in yourself, um, whether that's classes or someone's course or, you know, an event or an organization for your industry to learn what you need to learn to scale up. Once you're ready to see growth beyond what you've been seeing at a plateau, if you're going very slow and and taking your time, then you know that you need to do something different. And again, I hope from listening to the various episodes that I share that you're able to get clues. So these guests, they don't have enough time to give you a full out blueprint of how to do your side hustle, right? But they leave clues. They leave that information for you to go out there and act on. So act on these clues. Go at a pace that makes sense for you. You do not have to quit your job. You definitely should not quit before you're ready. And there are many, many ways to side hustle. And the beauty of side hustling is that you don't have to quit your job unless you really want to. So if you're thinking about the pathway of entrepreneurship, take your time work at your own pace, save, 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 save. Make sure you have a repeatable model for gaining income. And then you'll know when the time is right. I can't tell you, my guests can't tell you, only you can tell you. And with that, thank you for listening to my reflections on what I've learned after five years of entrepreneurship. And I will talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the 
week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.